they're going to get closer to that wish of annihilating the Armenian community there. And it's already been done in another region of ancient Armenia. That area was a vast majority Armenians, and today there's not a single Armenian living there. Human rights groups and genocide watch groups have said it's the worst example of cultural genocide in the modern era. But we live in hope, and that's a real palpable reality. That's a living hope. It's a confident expectation that because of Jesus, somehow the best days are ahead. Hello, and welcome to the All Things Reconciled podcast, where we want to inspire and equip you to embody and embrace the ministry of reconciliation in your vocal context. I'm your host, Jeanette Boom, and with us is Phil Wagler. Thanks, Janet. It's great to be with you and to be together. Listeners, we're really glad you're with us today, and our desire is that you would understand that the work of peacemaking and the ministry of reconciliation is the everyday task of the Christian. So this isn't something that is just out there for some expert to do, although there are experts in this, but every Christian is called to embrace the ministry of reconciliation and the everyday assignments of life. And so we're very glad that you've joined us today. In this episode of the All Things Reconciled podcast, we are looking into a live reality of Armenia. I'm sure you've heard it on the news and read stories online. Today, we want to explore this topic through the lived reality of our caucus's regional coordinator, Craig Simonian. Together, we will explore three themes. What is the current reality, history and context, and what is needed? And speaking of current reality, uh, Craig, thank you for joining us. Craig, you're a gift to our global Peace and Reconciliation Network team. But the current reality that you are literally sitting in right now in Yerevan is dire. And I wonder if you could introduce our listeners to what that is and the realities of this day in Armenia and Artsakh. Yeah, well, thank you very much, Phil and Jeanette. And it's good to be with everybody. With all that's going on in the world, it's easy to have information overload. And so you're thinking, oh my gosh, there's another hotbed issue, flashpoint in the world. And there is, and it's been happening over many years since really the 1920s. But what's happening in Armenia today is very relevant actually to the world, geopolitically speaking, but also to Christians everywhere. Because Armenia is rich in Christian history, and it, in spite of all the conflicts happening around the world, what's happening today is probably the only situation in the world where within a short amount of time we might lose the only Christian community in the region that has literally been there from the time of Thaddeus and Bartholomew in the first century, two of Jesus' disciples. That's incredible, Craig. And like when you're talking, you've used the language of today. We're not just using that in terms of like, hey, this year, but like it's literally on this day that we're recording uh, this on September the 19th, the potential of this terrible thing happening to Armenians in Artsakh is happening. Can you just tell us a little bit more about now the, the context, the history, what's actually happening that is bringing so many people into a place of desperation? Yeah, well, we'll we can do a quick look at the modern history and maybe go back a little bit later just to see the context. But essentially, by the time the Bolshevik Revolution took place, Artsakh was part of this nation of Armenia. 
But part of Joseph Stalin's strategy was the divide and conquer. He would separate countries. So he would take pieces of Uzbekistan and put it in another country. And he did that everywhere. So much of the conflict we have in that region is because of that. So he took this region of Artsakh and he put it inside of Azerbaijan as an autonomous oblast or, or region there. Again, from separating the people to weaken them to create a deeper reliance on Russia as the center point of the Soviet Union. Well, back in the 1990-1991, the Supreme Soviet, as the Soviet Union was falling apart, they essentially created these Articles of Dissolution. And Article 2 gave instructions on how the 15 republics of the Soviet Union could secede and, and leave and gain their independence. Article 3 was the same thing, except it was the process by which an independent autonomous oblast can gain their independence from the republic in which they were placed. Well, that's exactly what the Armenian population did. They were 95% Armenian there in Artsakh, so they declared their independence. But even though Azerbaijan enjoyed their independence, they wouldn't grant Artsakh their independence or their connection to Armenia as it's historically been. Armenia, the kingdom of Armenia, was very large, actually. It'd be interesting if you want more information, just to Google this kingdom of Armenia. As a people, we go back 3,500 years. The city I'm talking to from, Yerevan, is like 30 years older than Rome. So it's an ancient country, an ancient people. I mean, we're mentioned in the Bible a number of times. So that's pretty old. Again, back to the modern era, after the fall of the Soviet Union, there was just a desire for independence, and that was resisted. And so there was a war. Artsakh actually won that war. But Armenia is a small country of 2.9 million people. Azerbaijan is a country of around 11 million. They are perfectly allied with Turkey, which is a nation of 85 million people. And Turkey being NATO's fourth largest army, working together with Azerbaijan, there was no way where in September of 2020, Azerbaijan attacked Artsakh and parts of Armenia proper and basically took a large percentage of it. Now they're actually shooting on the remaining Armenian parts of it from the parts that they had taken. So we're at that point for 281 days, Azerbaijan has surrounded this enclave of 120,000 Armenians, 9,000 disabled and 30,000 children. And, and they've basically blocked all foods, medical supplies, miscarriages have tripled in rate. Uh, everything uh, has gone down because there's no real good hospitals there and all this, they wouldn't allow anyone to be evacuated to Armenia for the hospital. So Basically, they, people are been starving to death. We actually had the first uh, confirmed starvation recently, and that was the strategy. And the former prosecutor of the International Court of Justice wrote a lengthy paper just recently on the, their strategy to starve Armenians, which he's calling the second genocide against the Armenians, the first being, and as many people know, the 1915, where uh, the Ottoman Turks killed one and a half million Armenians. That happened again to the Armenians living in that region in Azerbaijan when it was formed by the Soviets, where tens of thousands of Armenians were killed, and now it's happening again. So Armenians keep suffering as the kind of lone Christian nation in this region. You know, we've got Turkey on one side, we've got Iran to the south of us, and Azerbaijan uh, to the other side, and we're just a small Christian enclave, a, a fraction, or one-twelfth of what we were in our heyday.
we are at that very pivotal point now because where the strategy was starvation and forcing people out, that changed today at one o'clock when they began an all-out assault against almost all of the cities in Artsakh. Wow. And to put it into perspective for our listeners, there is literally only one land bridge that is available for help for people to go in and out. And what has happened with this land bridge? Right. That was part of uh, the treaty that was formed in that last war, is that there would be this one corridor that whereby Armenia could send goods to Artsakh uh, because they were landlocked, and Azerbaijan didn't want them there. Uh, and uh, so their, their only hope for the Artsakhi people, the Armenians there, would be the goods that they would get from Armenia. For the last number of years, maybe 400 tons a day, like we're all coming through Armenia, and on December 12th, 2022, they completely shut the road down. And so there's been this complete blockade. And we're talking about utilities as well. That's why we knew this was getting intense because winter is not far away. And we knew that people were going to starve. They're going to get closer to that wish of annihilating the Armenian community there. And historically, this I mean, we know this is going to happen because it happened in the genocide. President Aliyev of Azerbaijan literally in public said that we're, we're chasing the dogs out of our country, meaning the Armenians. And, uh, and Erdogan as well has publicly from Turkey said that they want to continue where their ancestors left off in creating this pan-Ottoman region. And the only thing separating Azerbaijan from Turkey in order to have this pan-Turkism is this little country of Armenia. We really don't serve as a threat to anyone. You often read from the Azeri press how Armenia keeps provoking war with them. It's such a silly thing. All the human rights groups are here, Human Rights Defender, Human Rights Watch. They all constantly are affirming the fact that they, they don't see any of this. You know, there's no way a country of 2.9 million people are going to provoke not just Turkey, NATO's fourth largest army, and Azerbaijan, which is now a wealthy oil-producing country, but even Pakistan, who has vowed to fight with them, that's another 140,000 people. And that happened because Armenians supported India's right to Kashmir. Yeah, so Armenians are stupid. We've survived 3,500 years, not by being stupid. And But we are extremely vulnerable right now. And honestly, Armenians are wonderful people. And, you know, I mean, I've been to Turkey all through my adult life, and, and I have many friends there. I, I don't hold any hatred towards Turks or Azeris, for that matter. I mean, I think the leaders of these two countries are dictators. I think they are evil. That's my estimation of it. But I think that in Azerbaijan, for example, I think people just believe what they're told. So I just have mercy you know, on them. And of course, as Muslims, the last thing I would ever want is for one to perish without knowing Christ. So I just pray a covering over them, yet at the same time, I ask God for his protection over the Armenian people. I don't believe Armenia exists today after 3,500 years of history or with our 1,800 years or 1,700 years of church history. We are the first country in the world, the first nation in the world to embrace Christianity as our state's faith. The Apostle Thaddeus came here in 48. The Apostle Thomas came not long after that, before he went to India. Uh, and the Apostle Bartholomew came in early 60s. So Bartholomew and Thaddeus are buried in Armenia now. So we have a rich Christian tradition here, and really people want to erase that history. And that's really very sad to think that that could be erased. And it's already been done in another region 
of ancient Armenia, is an area called Nakhchivan, was also given by the Soviets to Azerbaijan. That area was a vast majority Armenians, and today there's not a single Armenian living there. Human rights groups and genocide watch groups have said it's the worst example of cultural genocide in the modern era, where out of countless religious monuments, churches, not a single thing exists. But historically, anyone with Google or textbook, history textbooks, knows that Armenians, that was a, a part of Armenia. So the idea of our history being erased is really difficult for Armenians as well, because the genocide in 1915 wasn't that long ago. And, you know, many of these cities in eastern Turkey were vibrant Armenian cities and they're all gone. They were all part of what was the ancient kingdom of Armenia. Mm-hmm. And now where it gets really complicated is uh, we hear of another war happening between Russia and Ukraine. Can you explain Russia's role in all of this? Russia has always had their hand in this region. And I mean, the truth is, a number of countries have. Armenia has kind of always been in the crossroads between the, the Roman Empire, the Persian Empire, the Russian Empire, the British Empire. A lot of proxy wars have been fought right here. We've been invaded by Persia so many times, by the Mongols, because parts of the Silk Road go right through us. So there's been so much war here through history. But in the modern era, in the 19th century, Armenia was annexed by the Russian Empire. The whole area of Artsakh today was under Russian rule, except the fact that the Russians always had, all its leaders of Artsakh were always allowed to be Armenians. So we've always maintained some level of autonomy there. So Russia's had their presence here. They don't want to let go of their presence. Russia is extremely distracted, as you're implying there, with what's happening in Ukraine. Because Russia is somewhat of a protectorate here because the peace treaty from 2020 was signed under Russia's kind of oversight and that they were the ones who were meant to protect and guard the treaty there. Well, it's been violated countless times. Almost daily, there's been shootings into Armenia and violations in multiple ways. And Russia has just done nothing because of this distraction. And so Armenia, even in the last few weeks, Turkey and Azerbaijan have absolutely fortified. I mean, they've had mile-long caravans of weapons and troops who have fortified their eastern and western borders. Armenia has really appealed to the, to the West, to the U.S. government, to the Western governments, basically saying, you know, please come and have a hand in the Caucasus region. And I think that kind of got us to where we are here, because Azerbaijan uh, in Turkey really wouldn't make an initiative like this without the prior approval of Moscow, essentially because the United States has actually been here. Last week, they had military exercises with 75 Armenian troops. They're actually peacemaking exercises with the U.S., but Putin was very angry that Armenia did that. He felt it was a betrayal. Armenia felt like we've been betrayed by Russia, who's not protecting us after the treaty from 2020. And of course, in that war, Armenia, in 44 days, that's how short the war was, but in those 44 days, Armenia lost 5,000 young men and left over 10,000 wounded. And that really is an extraordinary number of people. I was just doing the maths in that. And relative to the population of the United States, for example, we lost more people in 44 days 
than the U.S. lost relative to, to population in World Wars I and World Wars II combined. So it was devastating. There's not a single 20-something in this country who doesn't have two or three friends that were killed in the war. So because of that, I think Putin was just trying to remind us and Armenia, trying to remind the West that they're not going to give up the Caucasus. Frankly, it's a rich region, so that has a lot to play with it. You've given a wonderful geopolitical understanding woven with the, this incredible spiritual history of Armenia and the Armenian people, our brothers and sisters in Christ. And obviously, they've persevered for literally almost 2,000 years as Christians through ups and downs and oppressions of different kinds. And can you give us a picture, what's sustaining the Christian church now in the midst of this particular moment? What are you observing? What's sustaining? Is there hope? Well, we live in hope, and that's a real palpable reality. That's a living hope. Well, that's what the word hope means in Scripture. It's a confident expectation that because of Jesus, somehow the best days are ahead. And that doesn't mean it's going to be easy. There are times in, in Armenia's history that it didn't actually have a square kilometer of land where it was, so, was completely dominated either by the Roman Empire or by the Persians. But the Armenian population never wanes. Somehow the people stayed there. And that's why what happened in that land of Noxigan was such a horrific thing because they were erased. If people can just stay there, then they can grow and the people can grow and the Armenian presence can stay. But the idea of being culturally erased is such a difficult thing. So we struggle with that. So is there, but is there hope? I would say on one hand, just to give you a kind of a realistic answer to this, a part of the reality is that I, I think everyone's just a little overwhelmed because we're just wired, like, what can we do now? And there are these moments in life, we all have them in our personal lives and our family life, is that there's nothing we can do other than get down on our knees and pray. It's just a really tough thing. You know, as for myself, as an American living here, I'm an Armenian citizen as well. I've lived here for five and a half years. You know, I sort of grew up being a citizen of the superpower. Like, we always had a seat at the table. You know, if there was a discussion about something, America was there. And even during the 2020 war, there were times where leaders of Azerbaijan and Turkey and Russia would meet and not even invite Armenia to the table. And I never had that experience of feeling so utterly insignificant to the world and to not matter to the world. I mean, I know, spiritually speaking, we matter. But geopolitically, to many people, we don't. Man, that can be really hard. But we do pray because ultimately God is moving history according to his purposes. With all my heart, I do not believe history is in the hands of a dictator in Azerbaijan or Turkey. I believe history is in the hands of Jesus Christ. I think he is the one at the th who stands at the throne of God. He's paying attention. He's involved. He's moving things. I don't know what he's doing. But one of the things we try to do and try to encourage the church is to see with a different set of eyes. Like, look, look what's happening. We need to know what's happening, but see beyond what's happening. What is the Father doing? Uh, and how do we respond? What are the opportunities that the crisis and the horrors are creating that his church is meant to meet? So I think we'll, we'll assess that. In the 2020 war, uh, the church really stood up. We had 
just tens of thousands of forced migrant, migrants that were, were brought into Armenia. Even now, one of the things Azerbaijan is doing is they're setting up what they're calling, which is a really a heartbreaking description. They're calling it a humanitarian corridor so that they can force Armenians to march out of their ancestral home into Armenia, where they will never be able to return. And they've already said that. You will give up all. When you leave, you can never come back, and you will never have kind of this cultural identity again in this land. And uh, so, that again, it's all very heartbreaking. But in that time, though, we when we brought those refugees in, there was so much care, and the church did such an extraordinary Job. The government was overwhelmed, so the church stood up. And uh, one of the things we're doing as the Peace and Reconciliation Network is doing a series of trauma trainings uh, where over the course of uh, eight or nine months, people go through pretty intensive training in forced migration and combat-related trauma and then get coached. They're leading groups and then become certified to facilitate future groups. So we just hope to multiply this out so that every evangelical church in Armenia has at least a few lay ministers who are equipped to work in the area of PTSD trauma, combat trauma, and forced migration trauma. So that's it. And then beyond that, you know, just like we're doing now, I mean, our heart as Armenians is, you know, with regard to Turkey, where our ancestors all came from, is we want to go and bring the good news of the gospel to that area. We believe that the good news of the kingdom that Jesus came to preach is still good news today and that people deserve to hear it. And so going back there, frankly, at some point, we're going to go back. If the worst case scenario happens, we're going to go back and bring the gospel there. We're just going to be the people God called us to be. The truth is, and it's really heavy to even think about, but the assignment that Jesus has given us, it's not based on the circumstances so much as we think they are. We just keep doing what he's called us to do, regardless of whether it becomes more dangerous or more complicated. We know that God's going to guide us, and we know that we're going to operate in love. We know that you know he prepares a table with our enemies, and somehow we will connect. Somehow, at some point, we hope for reconciliation. But right now, we're in the midst of it. We live in hope and confident expectation that it's all in his hands. Not a confident expectation that it'll be easy or it'll turn out just the way we want to, but a confident expectation that he's in control and that we can trust him. Thank you, Craig. I think it's so important to kind of circle back now for our listeners to really understand how deeply we as a Christian community, as a body of Christ, are connected to our brothers and sisters in Armenia. What is your desire for those listening to this podcast? How can we develop that connection so that we can be an advocate? Yeah, that's really a special thing just because we're kind of well aware that the world you know we're not in anyone's orbit you know no one's thinking about us in that regard well the first thing is kind of to come back what i shared earlier i'd love for believers really around the world whether it's in asia the middle east or africa and europe north america any latin america everywhere that they understand that their history intersects with armenia's history being the first Christian nation, I mean, the story is incredible. Of course, we don't have time to go into it and how the gospel got here. But it was birthed in reconciliation because it was birthed after the disciples came here to the disciples. 
the church really took off, but the pagan king really led uh, an attack against the church, which really he ended up killing his own daughter. A few centuries later, another man's father, Klikor, his name was Gregory, his father had killed the pagan king's father. And so he went there to ask for forgiveness, essentially, to reconcile. When the king realized that it was his father that killed his, he was thrown into a, a pit for 14 years. And it was miraculously kept alive through the king's sister, actually, who had a dream that she was meant to give him food. Eventually, when Rome, Diocletian was taking more and more Armenian land, the king started to go mad. And his sister encouraged him, bring this guy up from the pit. And so he did. And the king gave his life to Jesus. Uh, they were reconciled. So reconciliation is part of our history. So again, I, I just say that know that when you think of your church history, know that this is your church history to hear. And so it's important. We don't want to lose this. If you came to Armenia, I'm telling you, you couldn't drive 20 minutes without seeing a monastery from the 600s, 400s. The oldest working cathedral in the world is right here, just 20 minutes from where I'm sitting. And it's what's amazing about all of our monasteries, and they're all so old, is that they're all working. They've had Sunday services there every Sunday from, you know, from 800 and the 400s, and it's just extraordinary. So pray for Armenia, because it matters. This is a Christian nation. Obviously, that doesn't imply that everyone is walking with Jesus. But the identification, anyone on the streets, that they identify as that. And so for them, it's really important to feel like we're not forgotten. And that means, man, it means a lot to them to know that Christians in other parts of the world care about them. So that's the big thing, is to just to have that connection point, let God create that connection point from in your heart to theirs. You know, that old saying, you know, to have uh, the things that touch the heart of God touching our hearts. Like this is touching the heart of God right now, what's happening in Armenia. And I pray it would touch yours as well. So the prayer part is completely vital. But also it's very easy for a very wealthy country like Azerbaijan to create a narrative that just isn't true. That again, that we're the provoker, the provocateur here and that we're, it, it's thankfully most all nations know it especially this time compared to 2020 where we weren't even on anyone's thoughts, just calling your representatives. Like if you have access, if you're in a place where just use whatever influence, whether it's just sending an email to a politician or if you're in the U.S., a congressman or a senator, but just communicate and said, please work with those who are addressing this issue of Armenia. Thankfully, there's been three congressional hearings in the U.S. in the last month and a half, and there's congressmen and senators really advocating for Armenia. It's very strong. So use whatever influence you have to really call attention to the fact that, my goodness, these people are suffering another genocide, and how could we possibly let that happen? We think, how did we let it happen in 1915? How did we let it happen in 1920? And how are we letting a third one with the same people group happen again to our Christian brothers and sisters? So I would just say that as a starting point. Thank you, Craig. This is stirring at so many different levels, the intellectual, the emotional, the spiritual. And so grateful for you joining us today and being willing to unpack this 
in the midst of actually the real live reality of it. You're not just talking about something that's theoretical or even historical here. You're reminding us that history matters because those patterns are repeating themselves again. And we need to pay attention as the people of God to that. I'm also struck by the fact that the disciple Ananias, who was sent to Paul after his experience on the road to Damascus, is buried not far from where you're sitting. Yeah, we can walk there in 10 minutes. Let's go, let's go, I'm ready to go with you. But what's striking to me is there is something in the DNA of that moment of the road to Damascus and when Paul was led to the house on Straight Street, where God speaks to Ananias and sends him to his persecutor. And there's something then, I wonder, in the DNA of Armenians as a result of that spiritual root, which is so beautiful. It is the kingdom of God, and it's so difficult and beautiful at the same time. And there's something that you've described about Armenia today and in this situation that should bring hope to many of us to live every day in this way because it is at the spiritual root of the gospel and what it means to be the church. And so thank you for doing that for us and uh, we're very grateful you've spent time with us today and we're hopeful this message gets out there. Thank you so much. We want to once again thank you, Craig, for spending your time with us, for raising awareness of what's happening and calling us to really join in prayer and advocacy. I'm Jeanette Boom. And I'm Phil Wackler. Please tell your friends about this podcast and other great EFC podcasts. You can follow PRN on Facebook and donate to this work through the Evangelical Fellowship of Canada using the code WEAPRN or check out our website at reconciledworld.net where we have some great new resources, including a new book on ambassadors of reconciliation and live your assignment. Go in peace today and go make peace every day.